Hi, this is Philip Millman from the Generic Board Game Podcast, where it's all the board gaming content at a fraction of the price. I'm Philip Millman, one of your hosts. And I'm Victor Gannon here um, from NaveCon. Um, and today, it's the 2nd of January 2018. Wow, it's our fourth episode. I can't believe we lasted this long. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> that's it. Give it time. It's only the start of the year. The... Um, the we were chatting there earlier and we were going to talk about, well, what we decided to talk about today was what's going to happen in 2018 because 2017 was a great year for gaming. And we're going to look at a couple of things from we expect to come in the next year. Now, um, as you may know, Philip has a background in economics um, and finance. I have a background in tech, I'm led to believe. Um, so we're going to talk from our perspectives on that, uh, and I'm going to let Philip start um, because he had some very interesting points that he made to me, and I think it's something that everyone should hear. So, Philip, take it away. Thanks, Vic. I appreciate it. So one of the things that I've been thinking about on and off for the last three or four weeks is what's 2018 going to look like for the board gaming industry given certain macroeconomic events? and. I'm not here to talk about whether I think a particular position or law is good or not. Uh, That's kind of irrelevant because I'm dealing with the situations as they currently exist. So don't see this as a political statement. This is more a food for thought more than anything else. I have my own political opinions and I don't think they necessarily belong on a board game podcast. Where what I'm thinking about is there's a large number of game manufacturers located in the United States. And as many of you know, the United States Congress, signed by the president, has just passed a sweeping new tax bill that significantly lowers the tax rates of various uh, corporations, basically from the low 30s to the low 20s, as well as increasing the tax rate, certainly for single unmarried, well, single is unmarried, uh, single people who are typically the ones with more discretionary funds. Now, I'm not saying that all gamers are single and living in their mother's basement. And in fact, most of the gamers I know, in fact, almost all the gamers I know don't fit into that category at all. Uh, Maybe those are just the video gamers, but I'm sure I'll catch flack for that. But the question does become, what does the gaming industry do with this new uh, influx of cash that they're no longer paying in taxes. The second question I had, and this is also kind of in the same milieu, is that the United States has been taking on a more isolationist, America first view of trade agreements. And as most of these games that come to the United States and really come to Europe and to a, a wide variety of other countries, all of these games are pretty much made in uh, China, so with the with a few exceptions. Stronghold Games tends to make some of their games in the United States, which frankly are a lower quality because of the higher uh, production costs of the of the workers. So that's kind of where my mind has been, and those are kind of the questions I've been asking. And as I think about it, you know, most of these companies are not publicly traded. They don't have stockholders that they have to worry about. They don't have a lot of, uh, they, don't, they don't have stockholders and they don't have a lot of corporate debt with the possible exception of Tiny Minstrel Games, which 
did this sort of stock offering last year. It was a private stock. It's not publicly traded. But the question then becomes is what do, what do these companies do with the extra money? And this is kind of one of the things I've been struggling with. And, and, and I'll tell you what I think. Knowing game companies, I have worked with some game companies helping them out at booths. I kind of know what their profit margins are. And in talking, and in, I'm not talking, but in reading uh, Jamie uh, Stegmeier's blog, you get a sense that for a game company to be successful, their product has to cost a has to cost to the to the end consumer, us gamers, about five times the actual production cost. So it's about a five to one ratio, and you know then you have to add in from there whatever the costs are for marketing, whatever the costs are for shipping, for product support, and so forth. So there are two ways that a game company could benefit from this tax could benefit the end consumer with this tax break. One is lower the price, right? Now they're not paying as much in taxes as they were, so their profit margins uh, doesn't need to be five to one, maybe it could be four to one or three and a half to one. I don't see this happening. Uh, board game uh, producers and sellers and distributors have gotten the consumers pretty much accepting games anywhere from the 40 to $100 range, right? I mean, Vic, that's about where most of your games are. Oh, yeah, right? sure, yeah. yeah. So, and, and we're comfortable buying in those ranges, so I don't see that happening. The second place that uh, board game companies could uh, benefit the end consumer are upgraded bits, right? Instead of uh, just paying $100 for Deluxified, it's now 80 bucks for Deluxified. You know, metal coins for everybody. Hallelujah, right? I mean, I happen to be a huge metal coin uh, aficionado. I like the way they feel. And, you know, when you throw down that money and you're buying something, it really gives you a, quite the zing. It gives me a thrill. So, you know, maybe you're going to see thicker cardboard, maybe better inserts, more metal coins. Metal coins for everybody. And I'm not talking about Bitcoin, which is a totally different discussion. The third thing they could do is do nothing and just keep the profit, hold up more cash, and be able to weather, assuming that they hold the cash correctly, uh, be able to weather the storms of recession better. Now, the board gaming industry really hasn't had to face a period of recession, right? The board games um, really have come back in the late 2000s after the world economy kind of fell off a cliff. And so we haven't seen this this current board game manufacturing paradigm be stressed in a worldwide down economic downturn. So they certainly could do that, but what I've found in looking at companies and how they do things, especially private companies, is very rarely do they hold cash if their shareholders don't require it. So I think that's another area that they could do, but I don't see that either. So what do I think they're gonna do? I don't know. I mean, my guess is is that some will just pocket the profits and enjoy it. Some will build up cash reserves, and some might put it back to the uh, the various uh, components or lowering the price to the consumer. So I, I think it's an interesting question. It's one I'm loath to put on the Facebook uh, boards because Lord knows uh, the minute you put in even anything even remotely political. Uh, it sort of goes off the rails. Then the second question that I, I sort of was thinking about was, 
you know, we had a lot of mergers and acquisitions in 2015 and 2016 with Asmodee buying everybody, right? I mean, they bought uh, Dice Hate Me. They bought, um, oh, God, I can't remember. There, there's a whole bunch of game, uh, gaming companies they bought, and that seems to have died down and slowed down. My guess is as interest rates are backing up, our merger and acquisition activity slows down because unless you're in the business, which I sort of kind of was at one point in my life, uh, hence my moniker of ex-Wall Street guy in, on the board game Geek. That's my username, ex-Wall Street guy, EX. Uh, that you need the financing to be able to, to conduct mergers and acquisitions. So I don't see that happening as rates start to back up, especially in American companies. I also think the uh, European, the ECB, the Central Bank of the ECB, um, is also probably going to be raising rates soon. They're certainly not going to be slowing down in some of the activities that allowed money to be cheaper. So I see mergers and acquisitioning happening less. Do I still see some? Yeah. Um, I also think we may see some more companies go out of business. I think we're seeing Mayfair go out of business. And I don't know who's going to take over the book, but it looks like it's going to be Lookout. And that sort of relationship is going to uh, inverse. Uh, I, and I could see a few other companies that will probably go out of business this year. They're not going to be big companies. They're not going to be uh, companies that have been producing successes, but ones that had been sort of hobbling along, and now they're starting to, to run into trouble. I don't want to predict who's going to die. I mean, I have people, some, some companies that I do think are not going to make it, uh, but I'm not, I'm not one, to, uh, <laughs> I'm not one to, to put a stake in somebody's heart. One thing I do see is some of the younger companies like Plan B and Renegade. I think they're going to continue doing well. They've been very, very good. And I could also see Renegade Games. Um, uh, I'm sorry, not Renegade. Um, Stonemeyer still producing uh, games that a lot of people are going to buy. I mean, they announced yesterday the third expansion to Scythe, which is going to have a campaign mode and all of board game you know, geekdom is either really excited or really pissed off about the hype. So I'll leave that to you. So I, I think, you know, a couple of things that we'll see in the future is, you know, coming forward is I think we might see some changes in the business practices of some of the distributors, especially the ones based in the U.S. And I expect less merger and acquisition uh, activity. And then I guess the last, you know, question that I can't even remotely predict is as most of the product is made in China, if the United States and China get into a trade war, which is certainly possible given uh, the president's tweets as well as some of the things said by the uh, Chinese prime minister, uh, that would also have a very negative effect. And that would make Kickstarters uh, probably run to ground because almost everything out of Kickstarter is made in, the, uh, in China. And I just don't see U.S. manufacturing picking up just given the cost. So I've blathered on for way too long about economics. I don't know if you guys are interested in economics, but I have a degree from economic in economics. And I absolutely love this type of thing. So I will talk about it forever and a day. So Vic, I've, what about technology? I mean, you know, obviously everybody and their mother has a cell phone now mm -hmm. or and grandmother has a cell phone. So you're seeing apps everywhere. I mean, one of the... Uh, constant debates that I hear is, is it appropriate for any tabletop game to have an app whatsoever? Even, even scoring apps have gotten a lot of grief. So where do, you, where do you sit on this and where do you think the industry is going to go with apps? 
That's a very good question, Philip. Well, it better be a good question because you wrote it. I think we need to tell the truth here. We took a little break in between recording the last part of this podcast and this because, I don't know, you, you got distracted. By well, yeah, my, my niece evidently doesn't know how to operate an automobile and ruined the battery. And so I had to go on the other side of the county, drive about 25 minutes. And uh, it was uh, a pleasant day and I had to replace the battery for about $200 American. So just it was a fun time. Yeah, that's that's a very elaborate way of saying it was a booty call. <laughs> I don't judge. Kabir, the we were talking about um, technology, and one of the things that has struck me about board games, and has struck a number of people, is the prevalence now of apps, um, or if you're old school like me, programs that are being used in conjunction with board games. Now, when I started out seeing this kind of trend happening with uh, fantasy flight and so on uh, but actually probably the very first one i saw was a scrabble version uh, where you had an electronic version of scrabble that was on an ipad and then everyone's smartphone was used as the little stack for letters i thought that was kind of neat and usually forgettable but a number of games now have come into existence like xcom and so on where you can't play the board game without the app and this has been a little bit of a concern for me, not because, um, well, really, the, the reason is it's not going to overtake. OK, the, the, the trend is not there that it's going to overtake and everything is going to have an app attached to it. It's just not going to happen. And um, the cost of developing apps is too much. Um, it's like a little add on to it. And unless you're a big publisher, you're not going to be able to afford to get developers to write this application. It's not going to come down in price either, by the way. It's only going to come more expensive to get stuff developed forever and ever, amen. Um, so it's not really like the fear of, oh, we're, we're going to have a, have a smartphone to play this game and so on, uh, is not real, um, except for one or two games. Now, you look at the likes of XCOM. It's actually not a great game. I've played it a few times you know you can pick it up now in bargain basement it just wasn't a great game um, but what got me about it was it could have been a much better game if one person was able to play the aliens not just everybody playing against the computer because of the app because then it becomes a puzzle game um, then it stops being a strategic game as such and it becomes a puzzle of how do I you know how do I beat this algorithm um, now, I looked at that and went, yeah, don't like this, don't like this trend, until some of the newer stuff came along, like um, Mansions of Madness, the new one, the version 2. Now, the app in that is fantastic. Uh, it's necessary um, for what they do, but it's very, very clever. Um, they've taken their time with it, they've got it right, and so on, um, and it makes for a great game way better than i thought uh, i was blown away by this game and the app makes it you have to have the app to play it it's fair enough but in this case that's okay my one kind of concern with this is a lot of games i don't mind xcom xcom can disappear um but the likes of mansions of madness is a great game but in 10 years time am i going to be able to get the app in 20 years' time, am I going to be able to get... Well, 20 years' time, am I going to be alive? But the uh, in perpetuity, like, 
will people be able to play this game in 20, 30, 40 years time? Any board game that you buy might be a little bit musty and so on, but you can still play Dune. You can still play your old copy of Risk. You know, you can blow the dust off. You can't really blow the dust off an app if it's gone, if that company's gone out of business, if you can't download it. Now, you can probably find it somewhere, um, but the average Joe who doesn't know their way around um, various sites won't be able to find it. It won't be as accessible as before. And like a lot of video games where the trend is you have a, a game that you need to connect to a server to play, the same thing will happen with apps where um, you can't get it, so your game is gone. That's it. That's the end of it. We no longer support it. Thank you very much. You had 10 years of the game and we're done. And I don't like that. Um, I don't like it one bit. Uh, and I would be wary of things like that happening. Now, look, um, how many games reasonably, like Philip, many games can you think of off the top of your head that use apps? Um, like this is the, the, yeah, the only one that I can, well, there, there are a couple. One is, one is the betrayal on the house of the hill. Like you were telling me, um, the other one that I was thinking about was alchemist which mm. you need the app to be able to go through all the various potion combinations. And one of the issues that I have with apps is I play a lot of board games on the Jewish Sabbath in which you're not allowed to use apps. Okay. So if a game has an app that is required or even a score, you know, scorecards I'm not going to worry about so much because I can use a book. There's different ways of doing that. But for a game that requires an app to be able to use it, I'm going to have to think long and hard before I will I will think about buying it. I didn't buy Alchemist. I mean, it's a fine game. Um, I'm not going to buy uh, any game that requires me to get an app for it because I'm just it's not going to hit the table as much. Say, actually, I'll stop you there because I just like stopping you. But <laughs> the, um, the actually Alchemist does have a backup cardboard um, system, so you can play it without it. It's just more slick and more easy. And I think one of the things about this um, is that apps are make games a lot more accessible when you have them, when they're running and when everything's working. Um, there are any number of games out there that work better as apps than they do as the actual physical. People are going to disagree with this, but it's fine. Uh, than the physical game itself. If you look at a recent release like Through the Ages, um, Through the Ages is a fantastic game, um, but I'm very unlikely to actually pull that game out on a games night and play it. Uh, but I have at the moment two or three games of it going on my phone, and I have done like a group of us have been playing it uh, against each other, you know, non stop almost um, for the last couple of months. That's a great game. Uh, not only that, but it's accessible to people that aren't nearby. It's, you know, I'm playing it with friends, well, people that I game with, uh, from all over the place. Uh, and it's just a very, very accessible game compared to the cardboard version, which takes a little bit of thought, a little bit of setup and so on, which is, is you know, part and parcel of it. But this is so much easier. Uh, and I've heard it said about a number of games like um, the Pathfinder card game. Uh, people who've played the app for that will will not go back to the cardboard version, setting it up and so mm. on. Other games like 
I mean, you have games like, uh, ah, what's it called? Star Realms. Star Realms, very slick on the phone. Um, not so slick, but, you know, very accessible. But, you know, being able to play with people that are not geographically close to you and so on is a fantastic thing on, on apps and I'm all for it. Um, there's so many pluses to it compared to um, like the cardboard itself. Look, I like the cardboard, you like the cardboard and so on. I don't think it's going to take over. I think it's going to add to what's there. In fact, uh, like the, 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 it will never replace. It's like pinball machines. Um, you can't replace a pinball machine with an electronic version. It will never be quite the same. It doesn't have the same tactile feed, uh, feel that you know a pinball machine has. And that's fine if you're into pinball machines. If you're not, fine. The um, but but the problem with the pinball machine is how many quarter arcades are there out there anymore? I mean, I have to travel far at this point, uh, pretty much close to twenty miles to to get my hands on a pinball machine. Right? It used to be okay. everywhere. Yeah. And and the the one that was about the one place that was about six miles away, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, you know, my concern is if it goes the way of the pinball machines, sure there are going to be some collectors that'll have it, but the general availability will be very very limited. Yeah, the totally off topic. I actually cannot think of anywhere in Ireland at the moment that has a pinball machine that I could find with surety. But look. It, it, it's just you know at the same time I don't know where you could rent a DVD or where you could buy a cassette but <laughs> it's, 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 it's just part of it you know the technology moves on the um, like one of the things that, that fascinates me now at the moment uh, and it's going to fascinate people more um, like late last year I started into uh, I got a, a virtual reality set up at home I've been exploring that and so on I don't know if have you tried virtual reality stuff, Philip. I, I have a VR for my with my phone. It's one of these Samsung headset things. I don't find it that engaging. Yeah, no, I went kind of all out, full fat, and got a whole room uh, version, uh, the HTC Vive, uh, Vive, and you know I got the wireless kit for it and so on, um, so that could you can walk around in the environment and compared to kind of the sit down stuff or the kind of low end stuff, it's 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 mesmerizing okay uh, and i'm seeing things like virtual uh tabletop uh which is incredible on it i mean you you look around you can see it better still you look around you can see it with your friends now look you and i know it's not the same mm-hmm. it's you know it's not the same as looking a person in the face laughing and pointing at them okay when you beat them it's just <laughs> not you know it's not the same kind of social thing and we don't do it but it's like methadone you know, it's it's if you can't get you know the real thing, this is this is a nice substitute. And what what where I think it's going is, and people talk about virtual reality and so on in gaming. Uh, I don't think that's where it's at. I think where we're really going to see a shift in board gaming is with augmented reality, where you're looking through a set of glasses um, and you're seeing a distorted reality, for want of a better term. So. Uh, you and I are sitting with blank sets of cards, but when we look through our glasses, um, we can see them as a set of Dominion cards on the back. Okay, and um, when I put a piece down on the table, you know it's animated, it's moving, and so on. Um, that there's a little bit more life to the board games. That you know, 
I don't have to, you know, paint my models. When I look through my glasses, um, the models that I have for the base game are painted. Am I scaring you, Philip? Uh, I was just thinking, are you just envisioning a world where it's like the 1977 a Star Wars movie where Chewbacca is playing C-3PO and <laughs> on with monster chess, you know, and, and sort of having that holographic image in front of us to uh, move the pieces. I mean, I, I, I do think seeing the person across the table sweating and that the, the eyes of fear, as you know, that you're about to toast them in the next move, like in Viticulture, when people, when uh, people are playing against... They, they had moved slightly ahead, but then I had been setting up for two rounds to do a 12-point move, which basically won the game, because it only goes 25 points in Tuscany. You can't buy that kind of fear in a virtual reality world. I would disagree. Um, I think what I would envisage is that we would sit down around the table. I mean, you know, you're wearing a pair of glasses as we speak, you know, the... Uh, uh, I need reading glasses myself. The um, and when I'm looking at that board, I'm playing the exact same game you're playing. You know, we're we're doing it. We're playing it with cards. But when I look at the board, I can see the grass moving. When I'm putting down, you know, cards for vines, I can see them growing and so on. It's not changing the rules of the game. It's adding a little bit of. Um, fluff to it it's adding a little bit of kind of depth and so on like a hd versus you know normal uh, tv and uh, that's where i see changes that's where i see you know uh, new stuff happening in fact what i see is that we're not actually playing on that board at all what there is is there's the table and when we look in we can see um we can see viticulture when we look through our glasses or our contact lenses or whatever and we're all seeing the same thing, um, except for the French guy who's seeing the French version of the game and is playing with us in the same room. Um, but that's where I see the changes. That's where I see the new stuff. It's going to be a while. Microsoft have a you know HoloLens they're working on. That's an expensive product. It's it's still very early. Um, Google Glasses have kind of retracted and will come back again. Another 10 years, you're going to see that kind of start. But again... The issue here is the cost of development. Um, we're never going to see board games be replaced. Uh, there, I said it. The it's too exp- You know, a publisher you can get a, a copy of VT Culture, as you said in the you know your earlier thing about production costs and so on. You can you can probably get it made for five dollars or ten dollars or whatever in China. You're not going to and sell, you know, 10,000 copies of it or 50,000 copies or whatever sold of that game. You're not going to get the same thing happen um, with Viticulture coming out as an app. Not for mm. a long time. Not not until it becomes more mainstream. Um, and by the time we get to that, who knows what we're going to be looking at, you know. Um, or will we even know what we're looking at. But I see it happening to a small degree. I see it always being an outside thing, but I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, and I'm curious to see what way it goes. But my kind of big thing is, I think augmented reality is where it's going, not so much virtual reality. Well, I, th- I think that's a, a very interesting take. And you know, I'd love to hear what other people think. Uh, whatever you think, please leave it in the, uh, the notes at the bottom of the podcast. We read them and... You can always reach out to me on Twitter at the Gaming Rabbi, at the Board Game Rabbi, excuse me. And uh, we, 
thank you for listening about economics and for where we see technology going forward, not necessarily in 2018, but probably over the next five to 10 years. Uh, Vic, do you have anything else to add? I didn't mention hover cars. Don't think I need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hoverboards. I'm still waiting for mine so I can jet packs, hoverboards. It's all happening. Don't <laughs> don't lock me up. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking forward to my uh, Back to the Future uh, hoverboard and my uh, Jetsons uh, Astro Pack. So one day, one day we'll have it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, Vic, for uh, bearing with me through my travails of a dealing with a teenager that has a driver's license. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon.